0: We wanted to make sure to bring you our latest episode and its fascinating story this month. We thought it might help with bearing the situation we are all under. This has meant that we didn't have access to our usual resources for recording and that, to keep safe, we had to do this one entirely from home. This might mean that our sound is slightly less strong than usual. I hope you can bear with us as we navigate ways to continue to do our work, but to do so safely. something about the sea that makes us wonder about lives not lived. The horizon in Gilling Bay's beach, dark grey with hints of yellow, and that softly undulating sheet of water, might evoke thoughts of ports we haven't visited, people we haven't met, and choices we haven't made. Some years ago, and we do know how long precisely, having an opportunity in his purse, and an unknown future of particular interest to him on shore, A young man from the then Czechoslovakia thought he would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. After all, we needn't be called Ishmael to want to take to sea. In these times of confusion, fear and kindness, we want to take you on a journey of wonder, a journey of possibility and hope a journey of community and connection, one that although cut short, accidentally placed Falmouth in the path of a peculiar ship which would go on to make history. We are having to do this a little bit different this time, we hope you can bear with us, as we reassemble, retell and react to the story of a young man from somewhere else who ended up here. In this episode, we tell the story of Mishko Molnar, a young sailor who was training on a Polish ship out at sea. We examine the history of this ship and we continue the story of the negotiations for one of Falmo's cemetery's expansions, the one that Mishko found himself in. Come with us on this journey in peacetime, away from the known. My name is Sherezade Garcia Rangel, and this is On the Hill. And Halfway down the hill where the old cemetery meets Madeira Walk, there's a big gravestone tucked away from the others. You have to make an effort to find it from the path on top of the hill, but once you know it's there, it's easily spotted. The gravestone is tall and thick, half of it rough cut from stone bearing an anchor, a common sight in Falmouth Cemetery. The bottom half of it has a list of inscriptions and a portrait. You would need to find your way through a parallel path to reach this grave. It took me months and the clearing of the brush to find myself a path near it. You first need to walk past Henry Philip Crease's grave, which we discussed on episode 5 and then take a left through an almost forgotten path to find your way to it. This is the grave of Mishko Molnar, a Czechoslovak sailor training in the Polish naval academy ship, the Dar Pomorsa. It is rare in Falma Cemetery to find gravestones with portraits, but Mishko's is embedded in the rock, beginning to deteriorate from the humidity that has found its way into it. We can still see his face, though. This is the portrait of a young cadet, in full uniform almost attempting a smile as he looks away from camera. The portrait of someone with their lives ahead of them, now frozen here, away from anyone he knew. The gravestone reads, Mishko Mornar, the first Czechoslovak sailor in Poland, born on the 28th of January 1915, died on the 27th of April 1934. Whoever commissioned this gravestone requested that the information there be recorded in two languages, Polish and English. They also left Mishko with a famous verse from St. Matthew Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This effort, his photo enclosed behind glass, seems to indicate that 19 year old Mishko was beloved and respected. Mishko Molnar was born on the 28th of January, 1915, in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. He was born in difficult times, six months into World War I, and it is likely that his family would have struggled through these events. Just three years after his birth, at the end of the war, Czechoslovakia won its independence from the disappearing Austro-Hungarian Empire, the climax of a long struggle for ethnic identity and self-determination. At the time, the diverse population of this new nation reached 13 million and in the dismantling of the empire, they inherited over 70% of the Austro-Hungarian industry, positioning them well for a strong recovery after the war. We do not know much more about Mishko's early years, in which town he lived or whether he had a big or a small family. These years between his birth and what places him in Falmouth remain a question to us as is often the case with the people whose stories we reassemble and retell here in On the Hill. But a few details recorded in his gravestone led us to discover just a little bit more. On the May 4th edition in 1934 of the lake's Falmouth packet, we re Mishko. Some of the details recorded there are erroneous, such as the Falmouth packet describing Mishko as Polish and the spelling of the ship's name. However, this article led us to find out more about him and the reason why he found his way here.
1: Polish cadet's death inquest at Falmouth expired while being brought ashore. The death of a young cadet on a Polish cadet ship was inquired into on Friday at Falmouth by the county coroner, Mr. E. L. Karlian. He was Michael Molnar, aged 18 years, and he was a cadet on the Dor Pomorza, a fully rigged sailing ship commanded by Captain Konstanty Macievich the fifth officer, and Ankoviak, acted as interpreter. It was stated that the vessel had been on her winter trip and called at Plymouth in September. Molnar was taken ill in February and peritonitis set in. It was decided to make for the nearest port, Falmouth. Dr. H. V. Deakin port medical officer, stated that in response to a radio message received on Thursday night asking for medical assistance, he boarded the vessel just after midnight in the bay and found the deceased very ill. The captain expressed the desire that he should be removed to hospital, but witness hesitated on account of his condition. On the captain pointing out that there were no nursing facilities on board, the young man was removed. He died on the way from the ship to the shore. The coroner. From what you saw, do you think everything was done for the young man on the ship? Absolutely. The coroner returned a verdict that death was due to peritonitis following the rupture of a tubercular ulcer. Lakes, Falmouth Packet, 4th of May, 1934.
0: Mishko had been training on the Darpo Morsa, a wife frigate with a long history employed then by the Polish Navy Academy for training new cadets. In the previous year, on the 23rd of September 1933, the Darpo Morsa had made port at Plymouth, its first stop since leaving Gdynia on the 17th of September 1933 from the Wilson Wharf. In February, named in the article as the month where Mishko first became ill, the ship was in Cape Horn, halfway through a circular trip of the Atlantic, which was part of their winter training. This journey was arranged following increased interest and activity by the Maritime and Colonial League, which we will discuss more later. And the emphasis was colonialism, which decided that it would make port in Paraguana, Brazil, where a Polish colony had settled. The port of Lobito in Angola was also reached to make colonialists aware of Poland's efforts. The Azores Islands in Portugal were also visited. There, a storm would delay the journey for a few days, and after which reaching Falmouth, the closest port, became a necessity. We wonder if truly Mishko had indeed been ill since February, as help could have been found for him much earlier, or whether the date was lost or confused in translation on the Falmouth packet article. In any case, on April 1934, the Darpo Morsa, carrying a dangerously ill Mishko, would find her way to our seaside town. The article goes on to say that Mishko was buried at Famos Cemetery on a Sunday morning in April. Mishko had died on the 27th of this month, as he was being taken to port to find further medical assistance. The funeral was attended by Captain Konstantin Masijevich, fellow officers, and nearly 14 cadets. Mr. T.H.G. Roscorla of the British Sailor Society officiated the service, and several of Mishko's peers acted as bearers. I want us to take a second and imagine this scene, because it is indeed a peculiar one. Imagine a range of sailors, never seen before in Cornwall, making their way down the hill with Mishko in his coffin, the place chosen, perhaps the only one available at the time. It's at the very edge of one of the cemetery's expansions, just where the cemetery boundaries reach the Madeira Walk. It would have been difficult to carry Mishko there, but everyone who was available came. The service, most likely in English, would have been new and strange for Mishko's peers, who left Falmouth almost immediately after, on their way back home. Dar Pomorsa, without understanding its context. The Dar Pomorsa, or the gift of Pomerania, was bought by this Polish community in 1929 for 7,000 pounds from Baron de Forest in order to serve the Polish Naval Academy. The ship was built 20 years earlier in Germany as a training ship and called Princess Eitel Friedrich, after the Duchess Sophia Charlotte of Oldenburg's title under her husband, Prince Eitel Friedrich of Prussia, it was taken as war preparations by Britain after World War I, then used in France as a training school before being given to the liberal politician Baron Maurice Arnold de Forest upon the loss of a sailing yacht in 1927. Unable to cost the refurbishings, Baron de Forest sold it to Pomerania. The White Frigate, or the Dar, as the ship was nicknamed, went on to form part of the Polish Navy Academy for years, and he was involved in initiatives by the Maritime and Colonial League of Poland during the 1930s to educate the Polish people about maritime issues. Set up as a social organization in 1933, the same year that Mishko would be sailing on the Darpo Morsa, the League's presidents go back to 1918, and its purposes included the creation of a merchant fleet and a navy. But perhaps the name of the League might have already revealed something for you. As part of a wide resurgence of national feeling in Poland and, indeed, Europe, the Maritime Colonial League had a clear imperialistic purpose, to demand colonies and overseas possessions for Poland. We often think that colonialism is something left behind centuries ago. However, we just need to look over our shoulders to a few decades ago, well within living memory, to encounter its blunt presence. The League was first a social organization, but it would soon be used by the Polish state for propaganda purposes. Historian Paul N. Henn studied the economic reasons behind World War II. In his book, which takes its title from a line from a W. H. Auden's poem, A Low, Dishonest Decade, The Great Powers, Eastern Europe, and the Economic Origins of World War II, 1930-1941, Henn discusses the Maritime and Colonial League as one of the many patriotic associations around Poland at the time. one of its most active. Henn describes how the League would promote mass demonstrations, engage in propagandistic activities, and publish patriotic materials. A quote from one of them, the Morse, or C, says, We base our demands on the tremendous increase of population and the necessity to develop national industry. We demand free access to raw materials. We demand colonies for Poland. End quote. This colonial thesis was supported by the Polish government itself, Henne explains, and the Catholic Church and government supporters would take part in mass public demonstrations on colonial days. Hen also describes that the successful expansion of colonial powers inspired Poland's own latent imperialism, leading it to demand Germany's former colonies. As Henn explains, according to the American ambassador Joseph Draxel Biddle, Jr., the Polish colonial concerns of the time were based in aristocratic fear of farm laborers' revolts and the search of an outlet for what was perceived as an unwelcome Jewish minority. This is the 1930s, after all, and the anti-Semitism seed had been growing in many European nations for a long time. Many forces were turning the world into a rapid swirl, however, and what at first had been a supported and organized idea would soon be shifted out of the narrative by one of its most ardent proponents. Polish Foreign Minister Colonel Beck had at first firmly pressed a Polish imperialistic agenda, and I quote, Poland is looking for a place to which her population can emigrate and from which she can procure raw materials for industries, end quote. He would continue to pursue this until 1939, when the invasion of Poland by Hitler's Germany would change the focus of Poland's politics. We will not discuss this at length in this episode, but it is important to note that the same association that supported the work of the Darpo Morsa was involved in imagining and aiming to build Poland into one of the great imperialistic powers. But the war would change it all and force the world to assess what colonial ideas, antisemitism and hate can do to all of us. When the war broke out, the Darpo Morsa would find itself interred in Stockholm, only to return to its training ship duties after the war had ended. We have more information to share with you about the Darpo Morsa. For now, let's take a look at the negotiations for one of Falma Cemetery's extensions.
1: There
0: The construction of Falmouth Cemetery in Swampool in the mid-1800s had responded to the needs of a small town in trouble. The proximity, lack of ventilation and cleaning facilities, as well as the influx from the port, had made of population prone to constant bursts of cholera. Just as we see now with our current crisis, measures were needed to support a healthy population. The opening of the cemetery Taking away the dead from the heart of the town where they used to be buried in King Charles the Martyr's churchyard was one of them. But Falmouth Town kept growing, and over half a century later, the then-new cemetery was running out of space. In April 1914, the Falmouth Corporation, the Vestry, and their advisors were in open discussion on how to secure the purchase of more land to expand Falmouth Cemetery, or indeed make a new one in Pengueres. The Lakes Falmouth Packet covered the minutes of the discussions as they progressed. On the 3rd of April 1914, the Packet publishes an article titled New Boreal Ground, Site on the Boslovic State Favoured, Compulsory Powers to Acquire Right of Carriageway. Here we find the General Purposes Committee, having fully considered the matter of the new burial ground, ready to instruct the town clerk to take steps to acquire compulsory powers for a right-of-way carriage across the road at the end of Swampu, allowing them to obtain access to the Wuslawi state. The need to expand the cemetery was clear. Mr. Bowles declares that...
1: As to the necessity of enlarging the cemetery, there could be no two opinions, but some of his colleagues had not appreciated the urgency of it. It was a mistaken idea to suggest that a considerable number of grave spaces could be found in the existing cemetery, and those who had been there since were satisfied that with ordinary fairness to those people who had purchased graves and paid high prices for them, it would not be proper to do anything to diminish the appearance of their graves and monuments. Although there was certainly room for a considerable number of graves yet, they must bear in mind that in order to meet the expenses of the cemetery, they had been following a proper course in charging higher fees for some portions than others. Of the portions of ground for which higher prices could be charged, very few remained, and the conditions under which burials were being carried out at the extreme edge of the cemetery was not satisfactory to a great many people. It was necessary, therefore, to deal with the question of a burial ground as quickly as they could.
0: The discussion as to whether the current cemetery should be expanded or a new site, purchased not long ago in Penwerys, should be made ready was a heated one. Opinions for the new site would be strong, and then following another negotiation with Lord Kimberley, owner of the surrounding sites by Falmouth Cemetery, opinions instead would settle on expanding the existing one again. The Falmouth Corporation was tired of the burial site matter, the need to constantly expand the site to account for the demand. And wanted to find a way to reach a more permanent solution.
1: Mr. Barnacote, after expressing the opinion that members should be accurate in what they said as to the cost of the land, manifested his approval of the Boslowick site, which, the surveyor told them, would be good for 60 years, whereas Penweris would only last 30 years. The cemetery had always been a vexed question at Falmouth, and now that Penweris was being developed for building purposes, he did not think it would be desirable to place a cemetery there. There were but very few houses near the Bosloic site, which was isolated, whereas Penweris would soon be opened up. Lakes, Falmouth Packet, 3rd of April, 1914.
0: The distance to the town and the possibilities of further expansions in the future continue to make the site at Swampool more attractive to the town. The people of Falmouth had also complained about the possibility of opening a cemetery in Penweris, with a total of 160 residents signing a petition against it, pointing out that the Penweris site was better used for workmen's cottages. Upon the petition, the discussions on where to place the cemetery, which were deemed to be unpopular wherever it would be set, reopened again. At the time, it was calculated that the current cemetery would last another 18 months at the rate of interment they were experiencing, calculated at 190 per year. Lord Kimberley had refused to sell the south side of the cemetery, the land nearest Swampool, and the one the corporation wanted. Instead, he greatly reduced the price of the land on the west side of the cemetery, which was at first objected to for the fall and nature of it. However, under the new price of a £100, and after conducting tests for its suitability, this was deemed the better option, allowing them to use the existing chapels. Mr. Henderson Bull said that it was admitted that a mistake was originally made in putting the present cemetery on the crest of a hill, but the site now suggested would be rather more prominent to the surrounding land. Presenting the most economical way forward, the motion to purchase the west side passed unanimously. This site is now the steep place of some war graves, a Karn family grave, and the grave of Mishko Molnar at the bottom of the site. Can you imagine? Had the Falmouth Corporation decided to place the cemetery on Flatland, what would be our name? The narrative around the Dar Pomorsa, which comprises a few publications by its sailors, available online through the Baltic Digital Library, often describes their journeys as exercises to prove something. The power of Poland at sea, the nature of the journeys of the Pomorsa as ingenious endeavors and not mistakes, as cruises of reconnaissance and training, where young sailors will continuously prepare for longer journeys to come. One of the distinctive features of the Darpo Morsa is that aside from carrying on the training of a permanent crew of 56 young cadets like Mishko Molnar, it also performed other duties like ferrying passengers such as employees of the State Zoological Museum in Warsaw. They were sent by the Maritime and Colonial League to collect specimens from across the world and bring them back to Poland. This was noted by the Falmodian doctor who boarded her to aid Mishko on April 1934, as is recorded in the inquest into Mishko's death.
1: It was mentioned that there was a young, tame leopard on the ship, attached to a chain near the captain's quarters. It was being presented by Count Zamoyski of West Africa to the zoo at Gdania, and was one of two cubs which were found by the count after he had shot the mother. There were also a dozen monkeys, a number of parrots, and a bear on board.
0: But this winter journey was mainly another test of what the Dar could do, and it would be followed by its most significant journey just a few months later, one which we assume Mishko was also scheduled to make. The Dar Pomorsa was preparing for the very great expedition, a trip around the world. This would be the longest trip ever made by a ship carrying a Polish flag of red and white. It would be a test on the ship and the skills of its crew, and the expectations for its success were at their highest. Longingly, the stories around this trip compared the feat to Fernando de Magallanes' circumnavigation of the world on the Victoria from 1519 to 1522. At first, the idea had encountered resistance, but upon the efforts of Captain Konstantin Masijevich and Captain Tadeusz Meissner, the idea passed through the bureaucratic processes until it reached General Ferdinand Zarziki, the Minister of Industry and Trade, who approved of the endeavor. The Dar set out on the 16th of September 1934, and would stop in Copenhagen, Santa Cruz de Tenerife, Madeira, cross the Panama Channel on its way to Balboa and to the Galapagos, stop by Honolulu, spend some days in Yokohama and Nagasaki, visit Shanghai and Hong Kong, stop in Jakarta, Australia, Durban, San Helena, Antwerp, and finally reach home in Gidinia almost a year later on the 3rd of September, 1935, four years before the invasion of Poland, four years before the war, would render a trip like this unfeasible. The dark crew would see Nagasaki before the bomb. They would see the Galapagos on the centenary of Darwin's visit in 1835, being part of the renewed interest in the islands that would lead to the efforts for their conservation. The dar would be the first ship bearing the red and white flag that would cross the Panama Channel into the Pacific, where ceremonies were held and a Polish flag and a bottle with the ship's name and date were thrown into the ocean. Christmas would be celebrated on deck whilst in port in Honolulu. There's a photo of Captain Konstantin Masijevich smiling brightly, wearing a summer's uniform and around his neck, a lay. ships with a Japanese school sailing ship were made in Yokohama. A visit to a Sulu reserve was made in Durban. When they reached Napoleon's empty grave in San Helena, the crew planted a tree with a plaque commemorating their journey. They received a hero's welcome when they docked in Gdynia with a hydroplane flying overhead, horns from every ship, crowds of family and politicians waiting. The Polish Navy Orchestra played the national anthem as they came off board. Except for an ill fate, this could have been one of Mishko's adventures. It never ceases to impress us how the story of one person's life connects to the history of the world. How by scrolling through microfiche or carefully handling the pages of the Fox records of arrival on the Bartlett Library in the Maritime Museum, we discover little details, the name of a ship, of her captain, the reason why it ducked, that might lead to discover a whole new chapter of history unknown to us. Cemeteries are markers of our past, endless holders of history, stories that at times inspire and confuse us, that remind us how complicated and connected our lives are. Mishko's story reminds me of Shunshin's. Perhaps that's why I decided to write about it. I wanted to know more about that young man in such a peculiar bilingual grave, whose smile still lingers on despite the elements, and that is no meager fight in exposed and windy Falmouth Cemetery. This peak at sailing and Polish history reminds us how crucial Falmouth's unique position has always been to the world, how this has always been a place of coming and going, and how now, even tucked away at home to keep each other safe, we can imagine all of the what-ifs of the life of a young sailor cut short before the great feat his peers would accomplish the Darpo Morsa is still around it is a museum now opened just days after i myself came into this world in 1983 you can visit it if one day when we have conquered this test you're in Gdynia. tell her hi from us then It is my turn again to share an original piece of creative writing inspired by my mish called Mornar. Here goes. On the next trip I'll see the world. I will travel further than any of mine ever has. Further than Gdynia, Prague, Stockholm, Rome. I'll see the world. I'll see the sun set behind new mountains. I'll see the captain smiling as we maneuver another difficult port and I will write home explaining all I see, all I don't know yet how to describe. The stars will find me working on deck, my time for the night shift, and the sea breeze will warm me as we sail parallel to the equator. I will join our next very great feat, and I will distinguish myself, quietly, slowly, until the captain knows me by name, and the men find a new nickname for me. I will be the first Czechoslovak crossing the channel on a Polish boat. And I will do well. I will. I must. I will do well. They will know my name, all 55 sailors, know me by my knots, by how I scrub the deck, by how I quickly pick up their language. I will learn other tongues too, become useful that way, communicating with all the peoples we will meet. Not all, perhaps, not all, but some. Understand them, show them our great dar, make the captain and officers proud, and I will bring something home, a small stone, something I can take quickly and hide easily from each inspection. I will bring them home some day, when I make officer, when I am on leave, and show them all at home how stones across the world are not that much different from the stones right here. I will grow to be a strong, wise man. I will tell stories, one per short glass of Slivovitz, opening the world to all, one sip at a time. The sands of Honolulu, the dragons of the Galapagos, the cliffs of San Helena, the transparent waters of Madeira. I will tell the story of how a winter trip prepared me for a trip around the world, how the dars slid through the waves like a great white fish coming to the surface to let the sun shine on its scales. I will show them the calluses of my hands, the scars of my arms, and show my teeth so they can see how tan I am. I will save all I make, eating as a king in all the places I have never been. I will try it all, I won't be afraid. No matter what they serve me, I will eat it. I will watch the captain closely, I will keep his rhythm, learn to predict what he will say. And I will be good and reckless and lucky as he is, and I will make of Poland my home on the ship. I will fold the flag we will hand over to dignitaries and royalty. I will wake early on the days they will come to visit our frigate, be prepared, keep my uniform mended and clean, the best kept in all the crew, have the captain place me at the front of the row so I can see all those faces all those new people. I will draw them on the letters I will send back home. I will ask for a picture of me to be taken, so mother will know, so father will see, that I sailed and traveled across the sea around the world in less than a year. I will come to port a hero, stand proud and ready for our welcome return. The band will lift my heart and play the song that has become a sweetheart to me, the anthem of my new home the anthem of Poland, the nation that took me in and sent me across the world. I will find a small farm, I will buy it, I will find a wife, I will make my own family. They will grow and miss me and wish for my return as I sell away, yet again, around the world. On our next trip, we will go faster, we will brace any storm, we will conquer new roots and bring even more home. On our next trip, now an officer, One day, a captain, I will see the world. I'm staying at home to do my duty to keep all of us safe. I had no access to my usual recording studio in Famos University, and I decided against meeting with one of our writers to do the interview. So instead, I asked someone who's sharing this quiet time at home with me. Someone who is always the first listener to any episode of On the Hill, and the first reader of any of my writing. Someone who once lived in Poland. I am talking about my partner Filip Almeida. Let's see what happens in this interview.
2: So uh, that was quite a nice story Uh, I do have a question though Mm. so why didn't you mention what happened to the person in the story (laughs)
0: Um, I think perhaps this time around um, because we actually knew what happened to him um, and because it seemed to me that um, the interesting part of his life w- was what we don't know, all of the time in Czechoslovakia, all of the time in Poland before all of this happened, but also, I really like to think about the idea of the life he would have had, the things he would have done, and the crew of the Pomorsa went to do such an amazing trip after uh, Mishko died that I wanted I wanted to imagine him thinking about that trip. They would know that that trip was um, scheduled. So the story is placed a little bit before he gets sick. So in Cape Horn, when the, the when the Darpo Morsa is in Cape Horn, and and he's just thinking, you know, this is what my life will be, this is what my life will be. So it's more about life, this one, than it is about death. I guess that's why I didn't mention it.
2: Speaking of life, um, do you know what happened with the with the boat or with uh, um, the other members of the crew after that trip?
0: Um, I know more about one than the other, the captain. Um, And we do know about the boat. So we've been sharing how the boat um, went off to be locked in Stockholm when the war was happening. Um, Then it returns back to Poland and continues to be a naval academy Um, until the year of my birth actually, until 1983, where it gets made into a museum um, in Gdinia. So you can go now to physically be inside that Pomorsa, and there's an exhibition inside the, the ship as well. You can actually see that online. you can go and be inside the ship online um, and we'll share that link on our Twitter account so that um, our listeners can have a look. That's what I know happened with the Pomorsa. Um, now what happened to the rest of the crew? They went on to do this amazing trip, right after they got back to Kadynia, um after burying Mishko in Falmouth. Um, they go off in this almost year-long uh, trip around the world, and it's the first time that a trip with a Polish flag is doing a trip like that. So it became this really kind of historical, um, lauded um Activity and they go all the way through the Can- the Panama Channel all the way to the Galapagos. Um, they wa- they go to Japan. They go to um, Indonesia. They go to Australia. They go to um, I think they go back through C- Cape Horn. No Cape Horn. No sorry. They go back through Cape Town um, all the way back up to to Guinea. So it's this huge journey that wouldn't have happened five years later. Couldn't have happened because of the war. Um, And after that, uh, for a few more years, they continued to do a few trips. Um, The captain, um, Konstantin Masilevich, becomes this kind of legendary semi rogue captain. Apparently he would do um he would he would take the ship to port in a very specific way um and do it safely every time and he was um he used to train a lot of the of the cadets um all throughout his life and he also i think actually i read somewhere that he he was in a prison camp in a war camp for a while during the war um and then he was rescued from there and continue on to be a captain and continue to be um, training these uh, cadets throughout his life. Well,
2: it's quite interesting and remarkable that we can um, see this ship currently. I
0: know, I want to go one day. So it's also
2: quite interesting that it's the first time they attempted a journey like that. So um, Mm. I cannot help but wonder Mm
0: -hmm.
2: what was the reason of the journey? What was the backing? What was the financial the the business behind uh, such a journey?
0: Well, um, Poland was trying to kind of construct construct itself from what I've been reading into this you know, um, great nation. Um, It was surrounded and had been attacked across its history by the great nations of Europe um, and it wanted to kind of claim its place in that banquet. you had the maritime and colonialist society uh, league, sorry, um, which played a big role in supporting the activities of the Pomorsa, because the objective, the original objective of this league was to uh, teach the Polish people about the sea, and that's what the ship was. It was a, a naval school, um, so it continued to do this. But there wasn't a lot of confidence in that activity at first because Poland didn't have a big history with maritime things. Um, However, it, it was being uh, supported by the government through the M- Maritime and Colonial League and went off to do all of these things. It also served as a kind of reconnaissance um, ship in the in the sense that it would bring back uh, specimens, it would bring back animals from all over the world, it would bring artifacts. So they were in, doing this effort of kind of bringing the world back to themselves and presenting themselves to the world. It was those two different things. Um, It's an interesting thing because it also has the other side of it, which we've been talking about in the episode, which is the idea that Poland wanted to have its own colonies, that wanted to have access to raw materials, that wanted to have a place to put its people. Um, And complicated things go alongside there with with suggestions that perhaps they wanted a solution um, to where to put the Jewish population, which, as we know, in World War II um, with the Holocaust and everything that happened became a horrific part of our history as humanity, um, and clearly embedded in kind of old ideas of perceptions of the other. Um, But because of what happened in the war, and as you know, Poland was immediately involved in the war, and the invasion of Poland starts the war. Um it changed the pro- the priority had to change um and those ideas dismantled themselves through what happened in World War II. so this impulse to become this great nation um which has been achieved through other democratic means <laughs> um it, it was a very european thing of the time it was a very um this is the world and this is how the world should behave. And, well, we still see a little bit of those ideas um, hanging out, and um, it seems to be part of an old way of looking at the world, and an old way of looking at each other. Um, but it's an interesting thing that the Pomorsa and these ships, and these trips, were both exploring, and, and they tell all the time how friendly they were, how people were friendly, and um, how they would receive everyone on the ship, and show them the ship, and... Yet at the same time, the kind of underlying activity was to colonize. It's well, not to colonize, but to get colonized, yeah.
2: It's interesting to see Poland being like the other European countries, like um, mm. um, Britain or Portugal or... Um,
0: Spain, Germany, yeah. Holland. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, pushing forward towards uh, something like colonization uh, that late in the game. It's interesting, I, I yeah. wasn't aware of of such a uh, initiative uh, until I heard yeah no this story. neither it's was really i quite this was
0: completely outside of my understanding and we had actually engaged with some material about um Polish history and kind of really learning about all that they went through to be able to hold on to their identity so it's an interesting thing that that after they finally get that identity then What they wanted, I mean, the way that they presented it was that they wanted access to raw materials, which those nations you were mentioning were uh, marketing to them. So there was an intermediary between the materials of someone else (laughs) through the colonies, through the colonial powers um, to Poland, and they wanted to stop that. They wanted to get, um, or a portion of the government at least wanted to get direct access. But yeah, I had no idea. And that's the interesting thing about uh, a project like this is that by looking, you know, first at a grave that cuts your eye, and then maybe there'll be too early or an inquest in the of packet, and then you Google it. Um, that that was the process with Mishko. I went from, maybe I'm interested about him, but I wasn't actually researching him. I was researching someone else, but I was in the library, so I thought, might as well check this year, found his inquest, found the name of the ship, and then I Googled the ship, and all of this opened up to me. Um, so I'm sure this is a very well-known story in Poland, from what I could gather, certainly uh, published in many, many different um, publications, but unknown to me, completely unknown to me. Fascinating. And that's what makes this project to me quite interesting.
2: It's a good thing you mentioned the grave, because from what I gather, that grave grave is not really accessible in the the cemetery itself. So how did you come across this grave?
0: Well, I first spotted it when I went with um, Tony Casey on my first trip to the cemetery back in June, a few years ago. Um, and in June, in the summer, that part of the cemetery, which is really steep, um, and is the part of the cemetery that the the Wolf Corporation wasn't really interested in buying because it's so steep that they were re- really worried they couldn't actually use it for the cemetery. In the end, they did buy it, and it is part of the cemetery, but... It was very steep. You can't walk down it. It's that steep. And it was completely covered with brush. So like, you know, chin high um greenery. You can't in like brambles, like spiky things. So you can actually just walk to Mishko's grave. Um so you you first spot it and that's what Tony mentioned. Oh then there there's this Czechoslovak you know, he said there's a Czech sailor. Um and I was like, oh, okay, he's there. And, and the, he's at the very bottom of the hill just before um, the cemetery stops and Madeira Walk starts. Um, you can actually probably see it from Madeira Walk better than you can see it from, from the top. You see the back of the cradle. And, I, you know, every time I went to the cemetery, I would go back there, I would look at it, but I wouldn't, you couldn't actually read it from where you were standing. Um, and one time I went and it was all cut back the brush was all cut back and they're really doing a a great job in keeping that back and I said, okay, it's now it's now that I can actually get to see Mishko because you could tell from from the top of the hill that there was a photo of him on the grave so I just wanted to see his face Um, so I actually had to find my way around the whole cemetery and I had to go through another section of the cemetery and kind of discover a hidden path to his grave because um, it's still steep and it's still very narrow and I found myself there and I started taking 10,000 photos of the of the grave because I thought this is the only time I'm going to be able to see it um, and I noticed his face and he's kind of half smiling, it's a black and white photo of him um, in a noble um, shape and the grave is also um, bilingual so it has English and it has what I le- later learned that was Polish, um, and it says, first Czechoslovak sailor in Poland, that's the thing that it says, and it, it has a birth, and it has the dates, and I thought, oh, interesting, and I kind of filed it in the back of my mind, but um, I wouldn't recommend people necessarily going to find it, it's a bit difficult, you can see it, see the photos on, on on the hill platforms, but... It, it had always been there and he's actually at the bottom of a hill as I said but he's completely alone there's no one around him and that that made me attracted to the grave is the fact that someone made such a huge effort to, to construct that gravestone to bury someone there um, he clearly was beloved and respected and I just wanted to know why
2: yeah. it's remarkable how you can find such a Story behind the grave, tucked away in the It just the cemetery. Takes hours of
0: work, that's what it does. Yeah. Hours in the library, scrolling through MicroFish.
2: So, from what I gather from previous episodes, this is a bit of a, the cliché question mm, yes. of this episode. So, <laughs> what would your grave say?
0: Oh, I ask this question every single episode, and I, this question has been asked of me before, my wonderful answer, I've already given it. Um... But I've been thinking because the other one's a literary one, so I said the rest is silence, which is a literary quote. Um, I think this time around I'll be something like I have the rest of the manuscript with me or something cheeky like that. <laughs> People would smile when they look at my grave. I like the idea that they would.
2: I hope that uh, George R. Martin does not put that on his grave.
0: Oh for man! Game of <laughs> no, I call it George R. R. Martin. <laughs> it's mine.
2: Well, uh, as long as you keep writing doing the the pieces here you're gonna keep getting that question so we hope <laughs> that you keep getting uh, coming up with uh, different answers to, to that question
0: yeah we'll see shall we thanks for doing this
2: no nah, no problem my pleasure
0: is o- you're the only person who could <laughs> well, we're self-isolating
2: <laughs> this is what it is
0: yes I'm having fun doing this So it's fun it's good it's yeah. good isn't it cool Thanks for listening to episode 8 of On the Hill. Thanks for bearing with us as we resolve how to continue to work in these circumstances. I hope this episode provided a distraction and a respite from all the worries of our time. Thanks to Philippe for agreeing to interview me. Stay with us as in each episode we discover a new story, learn more about the cemetery, relay the historical account of someone who once lived, and share a creative response from one of our writers. You can lend us a hand by telling somebody about this podcast. This is an excellent time to be listening to podcasts, so maybe make a recommendation. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our podcasts. It really helps a lot. In the meantime, and if you want to see Mishko Mourners' face, find us on Twitter at WeAreOnTheHill or on Facebook, also at WeAreOnTheHill. You can also get in touch with us by email at WeAreOnTheHill at gmail.com. On the Hill is written, recorded, and produced in Falmouth by me, with the help of amazing local people and a host of talented writers. Research about Mishko Molnar, the Dapo Morsa, Polish history in Falmouth Cemetery by me. Fragments from the Lake Falmouth Packet, read by Alex Horn. Creative piece by me. You have heard Masurek Draboviesko, the National Anthem of Poland, performed by the U.S. Navy Band. Bukaska Remeniskiewiczko, Tanz Brita, a traditional Jackson. And Madame Alapali and Henry Ann Clark in Aloha Oe by Columbia Records. Apologies for any mispronunciation. This episode was written and edited by me. Our theme song is Precious Things by We Are Muffy. Join us again next month for our next episode. I am Cheresai Garcia Rangel, and this is On the Hill.
2: I'm